welcome to another episode of Talk Your Thought by Katsuragi. Today is the day that I will be reading the story of Cupid and Psyche. Actually, this is the one of the first few stories I think that I've read from the mythology. So I'm pretty excited to be reading th- rereading this again. And I've read the same book. It's also still by Edith Hamilton Mythology. Um, yeah, and if as usual, if you wanted to listen to more Greek mythology stories, you can search up Talk Your Thought in Spotify, Apple Podcast, as well as Anchor FM. I'm not just sure why sometimes the background music is not present in other platforms, but in Anchor FM, it will usually just show up. So yeah, whatever floats your boat, just go ahead and search up my playlist and look at the Read With Me series that I'm doing. But if anything else, if you wanted to hear more about um, um, things that I wanted to talk about, like K-dramas and movies, also there are some stories about myself as well as um, stories about places that I went to, then go ahead, follow the podcast. was once a king who had three daughters, all lovely maidens, but the youngest Psyche excelled her sister so greatly that beside them she seemed a very goddess consorting with mere mortals. The fame of her surpassing beauty spread over the earth and everywhere men journeyed to gaze upon her with wonder and adoration and to do her homage as though she were in truth one of the immortals. They would even say that Venus herself could not equal this mortal. As they thronged in ever-growing numbers to worship her loveliness, no one anymore gave a thought to Venus herself. Her temples were neglected, her altars fallow with cold ashes, her favorite towns deserted and falling in ruins. All the honors once hers were now given to a mere girl destined someday to die. It may well be believed that the goddess would not put up with this treatment. As always, when she was in trouble, she turned for help to her son, that beautiful winged youth whom some call Cupid and others love, against whose arrows there is no defense, neither in heaven nor on the earth. She told him her wrongs, and as always, he was ready to do her bidding. Use your power, she said, and make the hussy fall madly in love with the feelest and most despicable creature there is in the whole world. And so no doubt he would have done if Venus had not first shown him Psyche. Never thinking in her jealous rage what such beauty might do even to the god of love himself. As he looked upon her, it was as if he had shot one of his arrows into his own heart. He said nothing to his mother. Indeed, he had no power to utter a word. And Venus left him with a happy confidence that he would swiftly bring about Psyche's ruin. What happened, however, was not what she had counted on. Psyche did not fall in love with the horrible wretch. She did not fall in love at all. Still more strange, no one fell in love with her. Men were content to look and wonder and worship. 
and then pass on to marry someone else. Both her sisters, inexpressibly inferior to her, were splendidly married, each to a king. Psyche, the all-beautiful, sat sad and solitary, only admired, never loved. It seemed that no man wanted her. This was of course most disturbing to her parents. Her father finally traveled to an oracle of Apollo to ask his advice on how to get her a good husband. The god answered him, but his words were terrible. Cupid had told him the whole story and had begged for his help. Accordingly, Apollo said that Psyche, dressed in deepest mourning, must be set on the summit of a rocky hill and left alone, and that there her destined husband, a fearful winged serpent stronger than the gods themselves, would come to her and make her his wife. The misery of all when Psyche's father brought back this lamentable news can be imagined. They dressed the maiden as though for her death and carried her to the hill with greater sorrowing than if it had been to her tomb. But Psyche herself kept her courage. You should have wept for me before, she told them. Because of the beauty that has drawn down upon me, the jealousy of heaven. Now go, knowing that I am glad the end has come. They went in despairingly grief, leaving the lovely helpless creature to meet her doom alone, and they shut themselves in their palace to mourn all their days for her. On the hilltop, in the darkness, Psyche sat, waiting for she knew not what terror. There, as she wept and trembled, a soft breath of air came through the stillness to her, the gentle breathing of Zephyr, sweetest and mildest of winds. She felt it lift her up. She was floating away from the rocky hill and down until she lay upon a grassy meadow soft as a bed and fragrant with flowers. It was so peaceful. It was so peaceful there. She felt it lift her up. She was floating away from the rocky hill and down until she lay upon a grassy meadow soft as a bed and fragrant with flowers. It was so peaceful there. All her troubles left her and she slept. She woke beside a bright river and on its bank was a mansion stately and beautiful as though built for a god. With pillars of gold and walls of silver and floors inlaid with precious stones. No sound was to be heard. The place seemed deserted and Psyche drew near, awestruck at the sight of such splendor. As she hesitated on the threshold, voices sounded in her ear. She could see no one, but the words they spoke came clearly to her. The house 
was for her, they told her. She must enter without fear and bathe and refresh herself. The banquet table would be spread for her. We are your servants, the voices said, ready to do whatever you desire. The bath was the most delightful, the food the most delicious she had ever enjoyed. While she dined, sweet music breathed around her. A great choir seemed to sing to a harp, but she could only hear, not see them. Throughout the day, except for the strange companionship of the voices, she was alone. But in some inexplicable way, she felt sure that with the coming of the night, her husband would be with her. And so it happened. When she felt him beside her, and heard his voice softly murmuring in her ear. All her fears left her. She knew without seeing him that here was no monster or shape of terror, but the lover and husband she had longed and waited for. This half-and-half companionship could not fully content her. Still she was happy, and the time passed swiftly. One night, however, her dear though unseen husband spoke gravely to her and warned her that danger in the shape of her two sisters was approaching. They are coming to the hill where you disappeared to weep for you, he said. But you must not let them see you or you will bring great sorrow upon me and ruin yourself. She promised him she would not, but all the next day she passed in weeping, thinking of her sisters and herself, unable to comfort them. She was still in tears when her husband came, and even his caresses could not check them. At last he yielded sorrowfully to her great desire. Do what you will, he said, but you are seeking your own destruction. Then he warned her solemnly not to be persuaded by anyone to try to see him on pain of being separated from him forever. Psyche cried out that she would never do so. She would die a hundred times over rather than live without him. But give me this joy, she said, to see my sisters. Sadly, he promised her that it should be so. The next morning, the two came, brought down from the mountain by Zephyr. Happy and excited, Psyche was waiting for them. It was long before the three could speak to each other. Their joy was too great to be expressed except by tears and embraces. But when at last they entered the palace and the elder sisters saw its surpassing treasures, when they sat at the rich banquet, and heard the marvelous music, bitter envy took possession of them, and a devouring curiosity as to who was the lord of all this magnificence and their sister's husband. But Psyche kept her faith. She told them only that he was a young man, away now on a hunting expedition. Then filling their hands with gold and jewels, 
she had Zephyr bear them back to the hill. They went willingly enough, but their hearts were on fire with jealousy. All their own wealth and good fortune seemed to them as nothing compared with Psyche's. And their envious anger so worked in them that they came finally to plotting how to ruin her. That very night, Psyche's husband warned her once more. She would not listen when he begged her not to let them come again. She never could see him. She reminded him. Was she also to be forbidden to see all others, even her sisters, so dear to her? She yielded as before, and very soon, the two wicked women arrived, with their plot carefully worked out. Already, because of Psyche's stumbling and contradictory answers when they asked her what her husband looked like, they had become convinced that she had never set eyes on him and did not really know what he was. They did not tell her this, but they reproached her for hiding her terrible state from them, her own sisters. They had learned, they said, and knew for a fact that her husband was not a man. But the fearful serpent Apollo's oracle had declared he would be. He was kind now, no doubt, but he would certainly turn upon her some night and devour her. Psyche, aghast, felt terror flooding her heart instead of love. She had wondered so often why he would never let her see him. There must be some dreadful reason. What did she really know about him? If he was not horrible to look at, then he was so cruel to forbid her even ever to behold him. In extreme misery, faltering and stammering, she gave her sisters to understand that she could not deny what they said, because she had been with him only in the dark. There must be something very wrong, she sobbed. For him to so shun the night of day and she begged them to advise her they had their advice all prepared beforehand that night she must hide a sharp knife and the lamp near her bed when her husband was fast asleep she must leave the bed light the lamp and get the knife she must steel herself to plunge it swiftly into the body of the frightful being. The light would certainly show her. We will be near, they said, and carry you away with us when he is dead. Then they left her torn by doubt and distracted. What to do? She loved him. He was her dear husband. No. He was horrible serpent and she loathed him she would kill him she would not she must have certainty she didn't want certainty so all day long her thoughts fought with each other when evening came however she had given the struggle up 
one thing she was determined to do, she would see him. When at last he lay sleeping quietly, she summoned all her courage and lit the lamp. She tiptoed to the bed and holding the light high above her, she gazed at what lay there. Oh, the relief and the rapture that filled her heart. No monster was revealed, but the sweetest and fairest of all creatures. At his sight, the very lamp seemed to shine brighter. In her first shame, at her folly and lack of faith, Psyche fell on her knees and would have plunged the knife into her own breast if it had not fallen from her trembling hands. But those same unsteady hands that saved her betrayed her too. For as she hung over him, ravished at the sight of him and unable to deny herself the bliss of filling her eyes with his beauty, some hot oil fell from the lamp upon his shoulder. He started awake. He saw the light and knew her faithlessness. And without a word, he fled from her. She rushed out after him into the night. She could not see him, but she heard his voice speaking to her. He told her who he was and sadly bade her farewell. Love cannot live where there is no trust, he said and flew away. The god of love, she thought. He was my husband and I, wretch that I am, could not keep faith with with him. Is he gone from me forever? At any rate, she told herself with rising courage, I can spend the rest of my life searching for him. If he has no more love left for me, at least I can show him how much I love him. And she started on her journey. She had no idea where to go. She knew only that she would never give up looking for him. He, meanwhile, had gone to his mother's chamber to have his wound cared for. But when Venus heard his story and learned that it was Psyche whom he had chosen, she left him angrily alone in his pain and went forth to find the girl of whom he had made her still more jealous. Venus was determined to show Psyche what it meant to draw down the displeasure of a goddess. Poor Psyche, in her despairingly wanderings, was trying to win the gods over to her side. She offered ardent prayers to them perpetually. But not one of them would do anything to make Venus their enemy. At last, she perceived that there was no hope for her either in heaven or on earth and she took a desperate resolve she would go straight to venus she would offer herself humbly to her as her servant and try to soften her anger and who knows she thought if he himself is not there in his mother's house so she set forth to find the goddess who was looking everywhere for her When she came into Venus' presence, 
the goddess laughed loud and asked her scornfully if she was seeking a husband since the one she had had would have nothing to do with her because he had almost died of the burning wound she had given him. But really, she said, you are so plain and ill-favored of a girl that you will never be able to get you a lover except by the most diligent and painful service. I will therefore show my goodwill to you by training you in such ways. With that, she took a great quantity of the smallest of the seeds, wheat and poppy and millet and so on, and mixed them all together in a heap. By nightfall, this must all be sorted, she said. See to it for your own sake. And with that, she departed. Psyche, left alone, sat still and stared at the heap. Her mind was all in a maze because of the cruelty of the command. And indeed, it was of no use to start a task so manifestly impossible. But at this direful moment, she, who had awakened no compassion in mortals or immortals, was pitied by the tiniest creatures of the field, the little ants, the swift runners. They cried to each other, Come, have mercy on this poor maid and help her diligently. At once they came, waves of them, one after another, and they labored separating and dividing until what had been a confused mass lay all ordered. Every seed with its kind. This was what Venus found when she came back. And very angry she was to see it. Your work is by no means over, she said. Then she gave Psyche a crust of bread and bade her sleep on the ground while she herself went off to her soft, fragrant couch. Surely, if she could keep the girl at hard labor and, and half-starve her too, that hateful beauty of hers would soon be lost. Until then, she must see that her son was securely guarded in his chamber where he was still suffering from his wind. Venus was pleased at the way matters were shaping. The next morning, she devised another task for Psyche, this time a dangerous one. Down there near the river bank, she said, where the bushes grow thick, are shaped with fleeces of gold. Go fetch me some of their shining wool. When the worn girl reached the gently flowing stream, a great longing seized her to throw herself into it and all her pain and despair but as she was bending over the water she heard a little voice from near her feet and looking down saw that it came from a green reed she must not drown herself it said things were not as bad as that the sheep were indeed very fierce but if Psyche would wait until they came out of the bushes toward evening to rest beside the river, she could go into the thickest and find plenty of the golden wool hanging under sharp briars. So spoke the kind and gentle reed, and Psyche, following the directions, was able to carry back to her cruel mistress 
a quantity of shining fleece. Venus received it with an evil smile. Someone helped you, she said sharply. Never did you do this by yourself. However, I will give you an opportunity to prove that you really have the stout heart and the singular prudence you make such a show of. Do you see that black water which falls from the hill yonder? It is the source of the terrible river, which is called Hateful, the river Styx. You are to fill this flask from it. It was the worst task yet. Psyche saw when she approached the water, only a winged creature could reach it. So steep and slimy were the rocks on this all on all sides, and so fearful the onrush of the descending waters. But by this time, it must be evident to all the readers of this story, as perhaps deep in her heart it had become evident to Psyche herself, that although each of her trials seemed impossibly hard, an excellent way out would always be provided for her. This time, her savior was an eagle, who poised on his great wings beside her. Seized the flask from her with his beak and brought it back to her full of black water. But Venus kept on. One cannot but accuse her of some stupidity. The only effect of all that had happened was to make her try again. She gave Psyche a box, which she was to carry to the underworld and ask Proserpine to feel some of her beauty. She was to tell her that Venus really needed it. She was so worn out from nursing her sick son. Obediently as always, Psyche went forth to look for the road to Hades. She found her guide in the tower she passed. It gave her careful directions how to get to Proserpine's palace, first through a great hole in the earth, then down to the river of death, where she must give the ferryman, Charon, a penny to take her across. From there, the road led straight to the palace. Cerberus, the three-headed dog, guarded the doors, but if she gave him a cake, he would, friend, he would be friendly and let her pass. All happened, of course, as the tower had foretold. Proserpine was willing to do Venus a service, and Psyche, greatly encouraged, bore back the box, returning far more quickly than she had gone down. Her next trial, she brought upon herself through her curiosity, and still more, her vanity. She felt that she must see what that beauty charm in the box was, and perhaps use a little of it herself. She knew quite as well as Venus did that her looks were not improved by what she had gone through, and always in her mind was the thought that she might suddenly meet Cupid, if only she could make herself more lovely for him. She was unable to resist the temptation. She opened the box. To her sharp disappointment, she saw nothing there. It seemed empty. 
Immediately, however, a deadly languor took possession of her, and she fell into a deep sleep. At this juncture, the god of love himself stepped forward. Cupid was healed of his wound by now, and longing for Psyche. It is a difficult matter to keep love imprisoned. Venus had locked the door, but there were the windows. All Cupid had to do was to fly out and start looking for his wife. She was lying almost beside the palace, and he found her at once. In a moment, he had wiped the sleep from her eyes and put it back into the box. Then, waking her with just a prick from one of his arrows, and scolding her a little for her curiosity. He bade her take Proserpine's bags to, him, to his mother, and he assured her that all thereafter would be well. While the joyful Psyche hastened on her errand, the god flew up to the Olympus. He wanted to make certain that Venus would give them no more trouble, so he went straight to Jupiter himself, the father of gods, and men consented at once to all that Cupid asked. Even though, he said, you have done me great harm in the past, seriously injured my good name and my dignity by making me change myself into a bull and a swan and so on. However, I cannot refuse you. Then he called a full assembly of gods and announced to all, including Venus, that Cupid and Psyche were formally married and that he proposed to bestow immortality upon the bride. Mercury brought Psyche into the palace of the gods, and Jupiter himself gave her the ambrosia, the taste which made her immortal. This, of course, completely changed the situation. Venus could not object to a goddess for her daughter-in-law. The alliance had become eminently suitable. No doubt she reflected also that Psyche, living up in heaven with a husband and children to care for, could not be much on the earth to turn men's head and interfere with her own worship. So all came to a most happy end, love and the soul, for that is what Psyche means, would sought and after sore trials found each other and that union could never be broken. And finally, a happy ending in Greek mythology. I know, I know there will be a lot more happy ending because we're on the love stories. I hope, I hope so. I just don't remember, but Cupid and Psyche is just one of my favorites because of this, and it's just really a unique story before maybe but now we do have a lot of these type of stories where you need to sacrifice in order for you to be happy and i feel like that is just really how love is you have to sacrifice something in order for it to blossom you have to sacrifice yourself your whatever you already have and whatever you feel like is more important is important for you the things that you most value would be the ones that you have to to give up 
or to sacrifice for that loved one that is essentially what love means and that's what took them in order for them to be happy before um Cupid was just the one working out in with their um relationship because Psyche never really knew her although she she loved the companionship but there was not enough trust as what Cupid said there was not enough trust because she is in the dark and if you were exactly in her position I wouldn't really put a blame on her I would almost do the same as well because she never met Cupid it was different when you are together with that person from a long time ago and you knew something about him or her it is different when this is a complete stranger like it like I'm tell I'm telling you and I don't know in their time in in this Greek gods and goddesses time but I'm not sure if you can trust everyone that you meet and if someone tells you that it might be a monster that you have married then eventually that will kill you would you really trust to actually just let that continue on and risk your life i'm not too sure with that but it's something that you have to sacrifice if you know psyche did the other way around and just remained faithful cupid and herself wouldn't really be able to i'm not sure though but i don't think that they are able to hide this from venus or hera forever Harry is still the antagonist of the story because of her jealousy. This time around though, it's not because of her husband, Zeus, but it's because of her jealousy towards her beauty as well as, you know, her son choosing her over him. I mean, choosing Psyche over her. So that is, that is, uh, you know, I, it's a good realization about what exactly you are expecting from love. Because most of the people, maybe, they are looking at love as something that is very beautiful, sparkly. Yes, it is in a moment and several moments with, with the, the person that you actually love. There, there is going to be a lot of those moments, like the flowery moments, this, this lovey and rose moments. But what exactly love is, is to sacrifice whatever you have. It is to sacrifice the things that you value most and see if that person is also going to willingly give that to you. Like, it has to be reciprocated in order for it to work out. If Psyche didn't look for Cupid as well as Cupid never looked back for Psyche, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to surpass whatever Venus had you know, put upon them the impossible task would never be just it, it, Psyche, let's be honest Psyche would never be able to do those and she had actually just give, she has given up from the first task but Cupid actually just also helped her it's, you know it, I feel like you know, most of the time I feel like now that I realize I realize it Cupid 
did a lot of work for it to work out for them and that is actually what love really means it doesn't need to be of equal um, sacrifices but, but as long as that other person is willing to receive and the other person is willing to give in the end it will just be one beautiful story just like that and even the antagonistic character antagonistic goddess which is Venus or Hera she would come to accept it everyone would come to accept the love that you both have that is it thank you for listening and until the next episode